This is The Guardian. Just a warning before we get started. In today's episode, we discuss allegations of sexual assault. So please take care while listening. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. When former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins alleged she was raped by her colleague in Parliament House... I don't know if he guided me there or if I went there myself, but I ended up laying down and passing out on the minister's couch. It sparked a national conversation about sexual violence against women. Together, we can bring about real, meaningful reform to the workplace culture inside Parliament House and hopefully every workplace to ensure the next generation of women can benefit from a safer and more equitable Australia. Her alleged abuser, Bruce Lehrman, has always maintained his innocence. Now, an inquiry into his aborted criminal trial is drawing to a close, and Lehrman has spoken publicly for the first time. Today, what is this case telling us about how sexual assault allegations are treated in the media and in the criminal justice system? It's Thursday, the 8th of June. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Bruce Lehrman has been accused of raping his former colleague Brittany Higgins back in 2019, which he's always denied. Can you remind us what Higgins has said happened? Yeah, sure. For people who, who don't remember or who maybe have tuned out of, of this story and this court case, the crux of it is this. Christopher Norse is a reporter for Guardian Australia. Brittany Higgins, who was also a political staffer in the same office as, as Bruce Lehrman, alleged that in March 2019 the pair were out at drinks together, they went to a nightclub and then subsequently took a cab to Parliament House. And it's there where Higgins alleges that Lerriman raped her in the office of uh, then Cabinet Minister Linda Reynolds, which he's always denied. Mm. In August 2021, Lerriman was charged with one count of sexual intercourse without consent and he pleaded not guilty. There was huge political intrigue into this trial. It was um, extremely high profile. You had both ministers, Michaelia Cash and Linda Reynolds, called as witnesses. But eventually a mistrial was called after a juror brought in outside research documents to court. A retrial had initially been planned, but it was called off and the charges against Lerriman were dropped after prosecutors said that any new trial would pose an unacceptable risk to Brittany Higgins' mental health. Right. And on the weekend, Lerriman gave his first sit-down interview with Channel 7. Bruce? Liam, morning. You ready? Let's light some fires. Yeah. What did we learn about him there? So a lot of the detail uh, from the Channel 7 interview we'd already heard uh, previously in a different form, in the form of his 
interview with police, which was recorded and played uh, during the trial. But what we heard again was that Lerman uh, maintained his innocence. Did you rape Brittany Higgins? No, I didn't. It simply didn't happen. Did you have consensual sex? No. He said that there was no sexual contact between him and Brittany Higgins. Did you kiss her, Bruce? No. In that parliamentary office? No. I did not see her again. Were you intimate with her at all? Not one bit. He again gave his version of events from that night. Um, He said that they had both gone back to the minister's office because uh, he had to pick up his keys and uh, do some work, namely making some notes for a question time brief. And he says that Higgins had also told him that she needed to go back to Parliament for some um, undefined reason. Mm. Lerman was also asked about the conflicting versions that he'd given to various parties about his reasons for going back to Parliament that night. So he had told his former chief of staff that he was going back to drink whiskey. He told parliamentary security when he arrived that he had been instructed to pick up some documents. And he, of course, told police that he was there to pick up his keys and make some notes on that question time brief. So during the interview, he was asked which one of those versions was the truth, and he agreed that it was the the version that he told police, and he agreed that the other two versions were not true. He says that when they got into the office, him and Higgins both went in opposite directions. Uh, They didn't see each other again until Monday morning uh, when they were both back at work, and he said he didn't check in on Higgins when he left the office later on, about 45 minutes later. And Chris, Lerriman was also asked about why Brittany Higgins would make these claims if they weren't true. I think that a white lie to save a job occurred. So during the interview, he made the suggestion that Brittany Higgins may have fabricated the story after she uh, saw that he had been fired for breaching security protocols by entering Parliament House um, in the early hours of the morning. Uh, And then she's come into contact with media elites uh, that have sort of latched on to this, given the environment at the time. And he blamed the, quote, media elites uh, for using Higgins' allegations to weaponise the Me Too movement. Mm. Uh, Lerman also said that he was blocked by friends and colleagues after Higgins' first interview on the project on Channel 10 and that his mental health had spiralled. An allegation as serious as this um, made so public and with the networks that I had and they were just disappearing, it, it, it all just became too much. I, I felt that I couldn't recover. He also said that he may in future sue Brittany Higgins personally for defamation. Um, we know he is currently suing a number of media outlets uh, which published her allegations. Why don't you sue her personally for defamation? Well, I mean, that's... That's a possibility. I mean, it's... I mean, are you, I re- are you I, reticent to do that? Because you know that... Well, I'm not ruling it out. Brittany Higgins hasn't responded to the claims that Larriman made in his TV interview. And the reason Larriman says he's decided to speak publicly now is that the criminal charge against him has been dropped. And he's also accused a number of media outlets of defaming him. Tell me about that. So Lerriman has brought legal action against uh, three different news outlets. So first he sued 
journalist Lisa Wilkinson and Network 10, uh, as well as Newslife Media, a subsidiary of News Corp, which publishes news.com.au, and its star journalist, uh, Samantha Maiden. So those two journalists and two outlets were the first to break the story of Higgins' allegations. He has also subsequently sued the ABC for live broadcasting uh, an address that Higgins made, along with Grace Tame, to the National Press Club. The full video of that press club address was also later uploaded to the ABC's YouTube channel, and Lerriman is suing over that as well. So Lerriman recently dropped this, his case against Newslife Media um, after he reached a settlement with the company, which both parties said was satisfactory. We understand that as part of that settlement, Newslife uh, Media has paid some of Lerriman's legal costs. News.com.au, which published the two stories, has stood by its initial reporting, but they have added an editor's note to the articles which Lerriman had sued them over. The editor's note says that the criminal charge of sexual assault against Lerriman was later dropped and that news.com.au doesn't suggest that he was guilty of that charge. Mm. So the other cases are still ongoing. Uh, Ten plans to argue that the allegations against Lerriman are true and rely on a truth defence. The ABC has raised a number of defences, including a new public interest defence and a defence of innocent dissemination, which essentially argues that they unwittingly published defamatory matter without um, any negligence on their part. These defamation cases have got a long way to go. They're likely to be extremely expensive affairs. Um, they could be quite drawn out and they they guarantee really that if they go to trial that these allegations are, are going to be examined and defended all over again, but this time in, in civil courts. It's possible, possible, we, we don't know yet, but it's possible that Higgins could testify in these cases as she has previously offered to be a witness for any media outlets in civil proceedings, um, but we're, we're a way off knowing whether that will actually happen or not. And Lerriman himself has signalled that, you know, he's, he's sort of committed to, to fighting this long term, that he's, he's not going anywhere. Beware the man who's got nothing to lose. There's a bit more to come yet. Next, reporter Nino Bucci on what went wrong in the criminal trial against Bruce Lerriman. Laura Maffiotz here, one of the hosts of Full Story. It's Guardian Australia's 10th birthday, and to celebrate, we're hosting a special live recording of Full Story at Vivid Sydney in June. We'll be talking about Australia's natural environment and how to save it. I'll be joined by a panel of special guests, including independent senator for the ACT, David Pocock, Dr Dennis Rose, a Gunachamara traditional owner and conservation expert, national co-convener of the Labor Environment Action Network, Felicity Wade, and Guardian Australia's own environment editor, Adam Morton. The event is in Sydney, and you can buy tickets on the Vivid Sydney website right now. Just search for Full Story. OK, we really hope to see you there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Nino, Bruce Lerriman insists that he should never have been charged in the first place. In fact, throughout his interview with Channel 7, he makes it clear that he blames the ACT Director of Public Prosecutions, Shane Drumgold, for that. But weeks after Drumgold announced that there would be no retrial, the ACT government announced that there'd be an inquiry into how that case was conducted. How did that inquiry come about? Yeah, so juror misconduct was what brought down that trial. Nino Bucci is a reporter for Guardian Australia. And after that first trial kind of collapsed and there was speculation about whether there'd be a retrial, there was a real sort of sense of things being unresolved. I knew the odds were stacked against me. The criminal justice system has long failed to deliver outcomes to victims of sexual assault. It was then announced there was not going to be a retrial because of concerns about Higgins's mental health. This brings the prosecution to an end. As a sexual assault complainant, Miss Higgins has faced a level of personal attack that I've not seen in over 20 years of doing this work. She's done so with bravery, grace and dignity, and it is my hope that this will now stop and Miss Higgins will be allowed to heal. And then last November, a few days after that trial was abandoned, the DBP, Shane Drumgold, wrote a letter to the ACT's chief police officer complaining about how police officers had behaved during the case. Mm-hmm. And he complained that those officers had engaged a very clear campaign to pressure him not to prosecute Lerriman, saying there was inappropriate interference and he felt that police were clearly aligned with the successful defence of this matter during the trial. He basically called for a public inquiry to examine the political and police conduct in the case But then the police union hit back at Drumgold, calling this a smear and saying that actually the conduct of him and the Department of Public Prosecution should be investigated in the inquiry. So... Well, good morning, uh, everyone. As the ACT Chief Minister, Andrew Barr, announced... We'll be establishing uh, an inquiry uh, following a number of complaints and allegations that related to the Lehman trial. An independent inquiry into the conduct of the police and the prosecutors, and that was going to be led by the former judge, Walter Sofronoff. And counsel assisting that inquiry noted that there was a lot of media and public interest in the case because the alleged offence happened at Parliament House, as well as the kind of broader context, I guess, of this Me Too movement and public discussions about sexual violence towards women. So what exactly is this inquiry looking into? So it's really important to say that it won't be looking at the specific allegations against Bruce Lehrman. It's not about whether he should have been found guilty of sexual assault, but it will look 
at the criminal investigation into those allegations, the decision to prosecute him and the trial that followed. And that means the inquiry will examine the role of the police and the DPP played, consider whether there was any political interference at any stage, and it'll investigate whether police breached their duties during the investigation of Higgins's allegations and how they dealt with the DPP and with Larriman's lawyers. It is also considering whether the DPP breached its duties in deciding to start the proceedings against Lerman and then later deciding to discontinue them. Right. So, Nino, I know you and a number of other Guardian reporters have been following this inquiry over the past few weeks. What has it uncovered so far? Yeah, so the first person to give evidence was Shane Drumgold, the ACT Director of Public Prosecutions, who'd called for the inquiry. He said that when he wrote to the ACT Chief Police Officer last November, expressing his concerns about what had happened in the case, he feared that the whole thing had been derailed because of a political conspiracy. Mm. He said he was concerned that Linda Reynolds, the minister whose office the abuse allegedly occurred in, and Michaelia Cash were interfering in the case Mm. and that they could have been pressuring the federal police who in turn may have pressured investigating officers within the ACT police. Now, he admitted he had no evidence for any of this, but that he thought it was a possible explanation for a number of strange things that had happened, including the behaviour of police. And that behaviour includes just things that he didn't expect police to do during an investigation, such as expressing such strong views about the fact there was enough evidence to charge to some of the things they were doing during the trial, like having sort of ongoing communication with Lehrman's lawyers. So although it was quite extraordinary that Drumgold outlined this possible conspiracy and then made clear he didn't believe it was the case anymore, he said he went from believing the only justification for the police officer's conduct was that they were being influenced as part of this conspiracy to believing after reading those police officers' statements that they simply weren't up to the job. And after reading that extra material, he also had a bit of a change of heart about whether there was any political conspiracy at all. And he said that he no longer thinks those ministers were interfering with the case. So the Director of Public Prosecutions is still critical of how the ACT police handled this case. What kind of evidence did the inquiry hear about this? Yeah, the picture that emerged was of individual police officers who openly didn't want to charge Lerman and wanted him to be found not guilty, who were frustrated that Higgins had spoken to the media before the rape investigation was reopened and were frustrated she was still speaking to the media while that investigation was ongoing because it made it harder for them to do their jobs. Mm. And these individual officers were also meeting and speaking with lawyers for Lerriman in ways that were unusual. And a context also emerged of a broader police force that needed to face a reckoning about how it investigated sexual assaults. So it was mentioned that charges for sexual assault are less likely to be laid in the ACT than in any other jurisdiction in Australia. And, you know, part of the reasons police gave for this was that they had limited resourcing and a relative lack of experience. But the fact that the DPP was actually reviewing how the force handled sexual offences at the very time Larriman was being investigated was also raised as a source of, of friction between Drumgold's office and ACT police. And it even emerged during the inquiry that there's some confusion within the ACT police force about what the legal threshold is for laying charges in in these type of matters. And the inquiry also heard about the police investigation into Lerriman. 
It heard that they accidentally sent notes for meetings Higgins had with her counsellors to Larriman's lawyers, though those lawyers never ended up reading those notes. And it also heard that some of the internal memos they prepared in relation to the case sort of touched on what were classified as rape myths, basically these really outdated ideas of what constituted sexual assault and, and what a, you know, a victim kind of looks like or does. We heard that one investigating officer said he was physically ill when it came to charging Larriman and another one just refused to do it before later telling Larriman's lawyer that he would resign if Larriman was found guilty. Mm. And what about Shane Drumgold, the Director of Public Prosecutions? Have there been any accusations made about prosecution's role in this case? So Detective Superintendent Scott Muller told the inquiry that he felt the DPP put undue pressure on police to charge Larriman and that Drumgold had been collecting evidence against police during the investigation to later use against them. Mm. There were certainly a number of missteps made by Drumgold, which he admitted during the inquiry, but most of these occurred after Larriman was charged. Mm. And so Drumgold said he probably shouldn't have read that confidential material relating to Higgins's counselling sessions that was accidentally sent to Lehrman's lawyers, uh, and that in, when he did that, that he may have actually breached the law, but that he felt he kind of had to, to understand the scope of, of what had happened there. He admitted that there was material he should have disclosed to Lehrman's lawyers, which he originally held back. And he owned up to several errors that he made during pre-trial hearings about how he characterised evidence. But he said that, you know, this was all inadvertent. It wasn't something he did deliberately. Right. So the DPP is saying, ACT police, you never wanted Larriman charged. You were aligned with his defence team improperly. But the ACT police are saying that the prosecution unduly pressured them to charge Larriman and that there wasn't enough evidence in the first place. Yeah, that's basically it. And it's obviously worth acknowledging here, I think, that there's so many unique aspects to this case from the setting where the alleged crime occurred to the allegation first being revealed publicly through the media, to that global context of the Me Too movement and what that says about believing the experiences of victim survivors. And it's also clear that police and the DPP were both coming to grips with how to do their jobs through this entirely unique prism. And what flowed from that is that both parties became deeply suspicious about what the other party was doing. Right, so a lot of tension there between the prosecutors and the police who were supposed to work together. And on top of all of that, this is a case that's received enormous media attention, as you say. So what has the inquiry heard about how the media's coverage impacted how this case went? Yeah, it's almost impossible to kind of unravel this case from the media coverage, given how the allegations were first reported and the fact that the inquiry itself was called in response to stories that were published after the trial. Sofronoff, the head of the inquiry, said he didn't think there'd been a case like it that had had this much attention since the Lindy Chamberlain trial. Mm. But the main media involvement that the inquiry looked at involved 10 journalist Lisa Wilkinson and a speech she gave while accepting a Logie. Thank you for helping to change the national conversation. And on behalf of all of the generations of women to come, Thank you, Brittany, for never giving up. Which essentially delayed the trial. The Logie itself was awarded to Wilkinson for the first television interview that had been conducted with Higgins. Mm. And Wilkinson said in a statement to the inquiry that she'd met Drumgold shortly before the Logies and asked about making the speech in the event that she won. 
and she said that Drumgold told her that as long as she didn't reference the trial, that the speech would be okay. Drumgold disputed this, but conceded he should have been clear with Wilkinson that any publicity whatsoever would endanger the trial. During the inquiry, Brittany Higgins' own comments to the media about her case were also under scrutiny, with Larriman's lawyer saying to the inquiry that his client was basically denied the presumption of innocence because Higgins was widely accepted as a victim before the trial had even began. And Larriman's lawyer also said that Higgins should have been restrained from making media comment about the case. So there's been a lot of evidence already before the inquiry. What else is expected to come out of this? So the chair of this inquiry, Walter Sofronoff KC, says he's going to inform the parties, which includes Drumgold, his department, the investigating police officers and the Victims of Crime Commissioner and all the other people involved in this, if he intends to make adverse findings against them. And he plans to do that by 9 June. An adverse finding is basically a finding of, of some kind of wrongdoing. And those parties would then be given a chance to provide a statement about why those findings shouldn't be made. Sofronoff's expected to take those and then complete a draft report by the end of June and a final report by the end of July. So as this inquiry draws to a close, what do you think it's revealing about how the ACT criminal justice system handled this case? So in terms of the ACT specifically, it's certainly given an insight into a very troubled relationship between the ACT police and the DPP, which is particularly concerning given the nature of sexual assault matters and the complainants in those cases. But beyond that, I think what the inquiries revealed is that politicians were not leaning on senior police. Senior police were not leaning on investigating officers. And for the most part, they were all behaving independently of each other, even when that behaviour seemed so strange and unusual that it appeared something else or someone else must have been pulling the strings. And as far as Shane Drumgold's concerned, that failure early on when the trial was occurring to recognise that these different players, politicians, federal police, investigating officers, were all doing their own thing as opposed to being part of this broader conspiracy. That could be seen to show that he was jumping at shadows when he called for this inquiry and that that act of sensationally writing the ACT chief police officer and essentially blowing the whole thing up kind of showed another error of judgment in his handling of the case. Mm. Looking at everything that's happened over the last couple of years, do you think that this could have this whole episode could have been handled better or differently? It's impossible to say because there are so many things that are unique about this case that we're unlikely to see again, whether it's the setting, the involvement of the media from fairly early stages, the political aspect to it. These are all things that you couldn't undo. But in saying that it's a really unique case, in a way, it's like so many other sexual assault complaints that find them their way into the justice system. We know that in a huge number of these cases, the victim survivor and the accused in these matters both are left with a real sense of regret, loss, emptiness, feeling that the justice system has been anything but just. And that's certainly what's occurred in this case as well. And so even though we've got, again, going back to how unique this case is 
outstanding defamation action and a board of inquiry that's going to hand down a final report. I think even after those aspects of this are resolved and we get even closer to the end of this quite extraordinary case, it's really unlikely there's going to be any winners here. That was Nino Bucci, and earlier you also heard from Christopher Norse, their reporters for Guardian Australia. You can find their coverage of the ACT inquiry and the defamation trials brought by Larriman at theguardian.com. You can also find out more details about Larriman's recent TV interview in an article by our colleague Kate Kelly. It's called Simply Didn't Happen. Bruce Larriman insists he did not rape Brittany Higgins. We'll post a link to that article on the Full Story website. If this episode has raised any issues for you, please know that you can call 1-800-RESPECT for support. That's 1-800-737-732. That's it for today. This episode was produced by myself and Daniel Simo, who also did the sound design and mixing. Our theme music was composed by Joe Koning. The executive producer for this episode was Hannah Parks. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.